Welcome to OAC Vancouver's podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We believe that Jesus is needed and relevant for people in Vancouver today. The message of God's love and promise of wholeness was destined to be experienced within a faith community that worships, studies scripture, and prays together. We warmly welcome you to journey with us towards greater connection, purpose, and peace. We'll be sharing our recorded services and conversations with health and wellness experts. Enjoy. Welcome, welcome. If you are um, just joining us online or walking in the doors, welcome. We always say here, better late than never, so don't be shy. Come on in, take your seat. But I do want to encourage you, today especially, the bulk of the message I'm going to share with you is actually carried in the experience of worship today. So if you're struggling to um, make it here for 11 o'clock, I'm just going to again encourage you um, to to make a shift, set the alarm 15 minutes early, pray Friday night that all those attacks and barriers the enemy is going to throw in your way would dissolve because really the bulk of today's message and every reason we come and gather as a community was the experience that we just shared, raising our voices in praise. I want to thank Karis for selecting those songs that just um, dovetail so beautifully into the main theme and message today. Uh, It's October. Can you believe it? October of 2021. I don't know um, about you, but this is a blur. This is shocking to me that we've already arrived in the fourth quarter of this year. And for some of you, it's the first time I've seen you in person. I was greeting Kevin today, like in the flesh, like three dimensions, four dimensions of I'm hearing her voice and seeing her and hugging her. And it was just, uh, wow, like, but it's October. And I don't remember when in 2020 I had the last hug with Kevin and when I saw her literally in person. And so, uh, again, a welcome. We have so much to celebrate if you have showed up here today or if you have connected with us online. Um, That in itself is worth our praise, worth our joy. But as uh, the season changed, as summer weather seemed to um, be lost quite quickly in Vancouver, as is what happens if you're new to the West Coast, it's also called the Wet Coast, for a reason, and we quickly went from, you know, a heat dome and beautiful blue skies to like a wake-up call, winter is coming. So as I heard people ask, like, oh, are you ready for fall? Uh, I know that what they meant was, are you ready for autumn? Are you ready for pumpkin spice? Are you ready for sweater weather? But all that was in my head as I heard that phrase, are you ready for fall, was, am I ready for the fall of humanity? Am I ready for the end of the world? Because 2021 has disappointed us on several fronts as we um, tried to put 2020 in the rearview mirror and carry on with hope and keep focused on the silver linings, and yet it seemed that all of the celebrations, all the victories were premature and our freedoms were short-lived, and the good news was overshadowed by continual bad news. Now, as Christians, if we take a biblical worldview, this shouldn't surprise us. 
we have Jesus who tells us, like, I've given you some signs of the time, some signs to know that the end is near, and those signs do manifest themselves in natural disasters and political disasters and wars. But he also said, watch out, because the love of many is going to grow cold. And the civility and the sanity um, and the respect that we would normally show each other is just going to be almost out of reach, out of grasp for so many people. And if they're not connected to that supernatural source of peace, joy, love, those fruits of the Holy Spirit that gives us heaven's power to attain those character traits, yeah, we can snap just like that. We won't have much to keep us grounded, to keep us hopeful, to keep us joyful. And I think if Jesus were here today and preaching, among one of the signs of the times just might be when your late night comedians start to question, is this the end? One of my favorites is Stephen Colbert, and when I saw this, I was like, I have to take a screenshot, because when sort of the mainstream secular culture, comedic culture, is racking up the headlines and is kind of questioning, like, how do I not get through a joking bit? How do I not get through my monologue without addressing? How much worse can it get? And as a pastor, I get to be part of so many different prayer groups, um, prayer gatherings, and I, and I always hear people hoping and praying that things would get better, that this pandemic would be behind us, a thing of the past and history, that racial injustice wouldn't rear its ugly head again, that impoverished Canadians, our first people, our indigenous, wouldn't be living in third world conditions while the rest of us enjoy the top ranked quality of life on the planet. And so we can easily get focused on the negative and we can wish it all away, but instead our worldview, our biblical worldview challenges us to take a different perspective, to face the coming disaster head on and to face it with joy. Because for the joy before him, Jesus endured the cross. He endured the nails through his hands. He endured the Romans that spat upon him. He endured the betrayal of his closest family members and friends. This joy before him is what got him through the darkest night of his soul, the darkest hour, this feeling of isolation and separation from his own being. And so as we see things aren't great and the news headlines focus on the negative, we have cause to still rejoice, to still hold out hope, to still hang on to God's promises and to embrace what's coming in the headlines, to embrace the unraveling of this world with such a peace that surpasses all understanding because we have a different victory ahead of us, because we have joy in what's to come, because we know that all of these signs are going to increase like labor pains, Jesus said, which are increasing in their frequency and increasing in their intensity. So I'm sorry for the bad news today that things are not going to get better. We might have moments of reprieve, but historically and chronologically, we can expect overall we're on a downward trajectory. 
And this isn't just shared by a Christian worldview, a biblical worldview. The climate scientists are telling us that. The atmosphere science scientists, the biologists are telling us that. Our essential qualities that this planet has offered us are not going to hold out, are not going to be sustained, are not going to be healthy for too much longer. And what kind of a population can be sustained in extreme heat and extreme cold, in, with polluted waters, with the absence of essential organisms that keep us healthy and thriving. So our good, good news in the face of bad news is that we tap in to a joy set before us, just as Jesus did to endure the cross. And scripture is filled with the antidote for discouragement and for distraught and for depression. We don't avoid those things as Christians, as Jesus followers, but we have a coping mechanism that is powerful because it comes directly from our Creator. The wisdom of Proverbs puts it this way, a cheerful heart is good medicine, but the crushed spirit is dried up bones. And today as we sang, as we worship, these bones will sing, great are you, Lord. We are engaging in the, in the remedy to everything that weighs us down, to the discouragement and the disappointment and the doubt that we're going to face. Remember that God didn't keep um, uh, Daniel's companions out of the fiery furnace, and he didn't keep Daniel out of the lion's den, but he gave them the power to move through it and find victory on the other side. And so today, we're as we are recognizing it's October, it's fall, y'all. We are going to embrace fall with a fallalujah theme for the next couple of weeks. We're going to encourage each other to practice what scripture has given us, this ancient wisdom for thousands of years. We're going to really go deeper. How can we put this into practice? How can we take the model of Jesus' life and embrace this? Because Jesus himself was a man of thanksgiving, of praise. In almost all of his recorded prayers, it's articulated that he gave thanks to God. And we find just one example in Matthew 14, where he has four, 5,000 plus people to serve. And he just is offered a couple of pieces of fish, a couple of crackers, some, some barley bread. And it's because he approached the situation with thanks. Thanks for a humble offering. The rest of us would be prone to look at that same situation and like the disciples say, this is hopeless, this is ridiculous. What is there to give thanks? We have 5,000 people to feed and the only person who would step forward can't even bring, bring enough for a couple people we would tend to scrutinize and analyze that scenario with the most negative, hopeless mindset. But Jesus here models and demonstrates how to take a shift in your perspective and how that shift can lead to something miraculous. Taking the loaves and the fish, he looks up to heaven, he gives thanks. And from there, the miracle transpires. This is the thankfulness of Jesus. 
Today I want to um, encourage you to adopt an important word into your vocabulary, and it's really the sentiment behind that word. But as I said, as we um, have sort of taken the fall season and said, this is the season in which we raise a fallelujah, a hallelujah, we look at the origins of that word hallelujah, and we actually see it's not too common as that succinct ancient Hebrew phrase. In the Old Testament, you're only going to find it in the Psalms, Psalm 111 and Psalm 112, and they both begin with this word, Alleluia. Now, translated into English, it's simply, praise God, praise the Lord, or God is great. This is the same word that you'll also find beginning and ending, sort of book ending, Psalms 146 to 150. The word hallelujah is only found one time in the New Testament. Does anyone want to hazard a guess as to which book in the New Testament has the word hallelujah? If you're a fan of classical music, Christmas time particularly, you might know the connection between Handel's Messiah and the hallelujah chorus and the scripture that it's based on. It's found in Revelation 19, verses 1 to 2, and it's this picture where everyone who God has rescued, everyone who has claimed his promises, who embraces his love, everyone who's been redeemed through all of earth's history is gathered. This is the greatest family reunion ever, and they're in the presence of God in heaven with all the angels, and Revelation records the sound as John writes it, it's a sound of thunder. You know when lightning flashes and you hear the thunder and it's not just the clap of thunder, it's the echo, it's the rumbling, it's as if someone took a big pot of pans, a drawer of pots and pans and just whipped it open and you hear the tumble and rumble. Or the rocks if you're at the ocean side and you hear a storm swell and you can just hear that there's boulders and big rocks churning. This is the peal of thunder that John is trying to describe, but it's more than just the rumble. It's more than just the bass. It's more than just the echo. He's hearing the words, hallelujah, hallelujah, salvation and glory. All power belong to our God. The multitude continues to sing, and we read right through to Revelation 19, verse 6. Hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. This thought, these two phrases in Scripture in Revelation is what gripped uh, George Frederick Handel's heart, and he holed himself up in a room as he just prayed, and he put pen to paper writing the score of Handel's Messiah. And if you really study and break down the musical score, you'll see that there are these movements, there's this progression, and it's actually out of a chaos of, but he will reign, but he will reign. There's almost like this desperation to know where victory lies, to know what is certain, to know what is true. And out of that comes this beautiful crescendo, this moment, this pinnacle moment in the song where simply everyone is singing, hallelujah, hallelujah, and he shall reign forever and ever. And it kind of quiets your soul. It settles into your core of your being, and you have this assurance Hallelujah. God is great. God is 
great. So we have scripture telling us that if we meditate on this, Psalm 74 was the theme of um, our summer camp meeting. And it was um, the key text that we asked the speakers of the wave to, to speak on. And I had a lot of um, fun debriefing with our guest speakers in the final night. We had kind of a pastor panel, and we were reflecting on this verse, Psalm 74, May all who search for you be filled with joy and gladness, as they repeatedly say, God is great. Some of your translations will be, as they chant evermore, as they sing evermore, God is great. In other words, hallelujah. This word needs to be part of our daily vocabulary, or at least the sentiment needs to be cherished and given a special place in our heart, in our communication with God every day. If you do just one thing differently this coming week, I challenge you to begin your day waking up and saying, God is great. God is great. Hallelujah. I need to praise my Lord. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. God is great. And then approach your day looking for where God is revealing his greatness to you. It's going to shift your perspective. It's going to cure some of the sour attitude. It's going to curb some of the resentment that we tend to carry, some of those burdens of bitterness that seem to be so hard to let go of. Try it just for a week, beginning your day with God is great. And I promise you, he is going to reveal his greatness to you. You know, I often thought growing up as we would study about heaven and, and God, that, you know, God is the supreme being sitting on a throne, and this is what good subjects of the kingdom do, is they come and they just say, oh, great are you king. You know, if you watch any medieval movies, there's this kind of like expectation that you're going to grovel and, you know, butter up the king before you ask a favor. But here's the paradox of our God, because he has no insecurities that need us to stroke his ego. By worshiping him, by, by responding to the call to worship, which I would say the entire volume of Scripture, Genesis to Revelation, is one um, compendium of a call to worship. And the purpose that God calls us to worship, the reason why he says this is your life's purpose, is as Kara said, you've been designed to praise God. You've been designed to worship. And no, it isn't to butter up the creator of the universe. Actually, when we worship, it changes us. This is the generosity of our God, this is his character revealed, is that by calling us to worship, we're actually made well from the inside out. As a call to worship, something changes when we instead look at everything that is wrong and broken and we fixate on sin circumstances. We're going to spiral downward. We're going to, we're going to lose to that corruption. But when we instead make that shift, that posture shift, and we look upward, I will raise my eyes to the hills from where will my help come from? There are postures described in Scripture about lifting our chin, lifting our faces skyward. 
And today in modern science, in secular science, they say this posture of being open, of looking upward, actually is changing something in you physiologically, psychologically. And as they do studies on people who were walking around with postures that are low and downcast versus postures that are open and upward, they actually report and have studied, peer-reviewed studies, looking at how people's sense of well-being felt elevated, their optimism increased, their feelings of hopefulness and happiness got stronger. Scripture, these ancient words, are ever true. And today we keep validating it and still trying to understand just why. What is the rationale? Evolutionary biologists would be stumped to really detail why that works in human beings. But we know why it works. Because we were created and designed to give praise. We were designed and created to worship, to lift our voices, to acknowledge our creator and his love for us, to really reflect and digest on his goodness, to lift up his name in sincere and heartfelt praise. Another study was done, and uh, I'm going to make sure this book ends up in our church library. It's called The Benefits of Belief, How Faith in God Impacts Your Life. And it doesn't just include studies on the Christian faith, but in terms of spiritual and religious practices. And we have an author, a researcher named um, Sonia Libomirsky. Libomirsky. I may have pronounced that incorrectly, but I've put her uh, name on the screen so I could give her full credit. And she wrote a book called The How of Happiness, based on extensive research with her doctoral students. She designed this experiment, this practice of introducing a simple gratitude exercise into the participants' daily routine. In one group, she said, I want you to take some time and log, try and aim to log three to five things that really are generating gratitude and appreciation in your heart that day. She had one group do that one day a week. She had another group do it three days a week. And of course, the control didn't do that at all. And they took the measurements. They had done the personal assessments of where they would place themselves on a scale of one to seven in terms of um, unhappy and miserable to quite happy, to feeling really good. And so I'm asking you today, if you have that scale, one to seven, where do you place yourself today? Thinking back over the past month, today where are you at? Did you show up here on the last thread of hope? Or did you show up today here feeling great and fantastic? Either way, you don't have to reveal that to anyone else in the room or online. But take a moment and go on a scale of zero to seven. Where am I going to place myself? Am I feeling great? Am I feeling down? Do I have some room to improve? I'm going to bank on the fact that most of you are not a seven, given the state of today's world. Most of you came in here below a seven, so we have some room to get to that fantastic state of being. Well, here's the experiment as it ran. 
she asked people to write down, to journal, and put pen to paper about those three to five things they were grateful for. And the control group that didn't practice that behavior of expressing gratitude, of reflecting on what they're grateful for, saw generally, overall, I think 80-90% of them felt no change in their state of being, in their state of wellness, in their happiness quotient. But the groups that did it either once a week or three times a week, the majority of them reported feeling a better sense of happiness, contentment, um, acceptance even of their circumstances. And these participants ranged from people where you would assess and say things are going pretty well in their lives, stable job, stable home life, to participants who were facing a terminal diagnosis, who were facing divorce, who were um, failing in school. So there was a whole range of people, and yet the majority of them, no matter where they began, those who practiced gratitude on a weekly basis noted a shift, noted a change, noted a release of some of the negativity that seemed to be uh, dogging them. Another researcher, Chiara Rooney from Italy. She was a psychologist with the University of Bologna, Bologna, and she worked on a sample of 67 women with breast cancer. So you know already these ladies have been experiencing a setback. She built on this work by asking these breast cancer patients to do a similar practice of gratitude. And she noted that those who practiced gratitude sincerely, deeply, who really wrote out in their journals, they reported a more successful process of post-traumatic growth and higher levels of relaxation and contentment. So again, it wasn't just their mental health that changed, but their physiological healing after their cancer operation and cancer treatment was increased. Another study that you might be more familiar with was published in National Geographic. And it looked at three groups, three populations in the planet, who had been identified as having the oldest and healthiest people in the world. Some people know it as the Blue Zone Study or um, the Blue Zone Groups. And the three locations on this entire planet where you have centurions of good health, not languishing away in a hospital bed, were Okinawa, Japan, Sardinia, Italy, and Loma Linda, California. There were a few differences in the culture and the practices of those people, but some generalities. They generally lived simple lives, not lives of excess or uh, consumerism, but they generally had a practice or an outlook that adopted a more minimalistic and simplified approach. They largely consumed plant-based diets. Some were plant-leaning. Um, Some were completely plant-based. But what caught my attention was Dan Bootner, the author of the report. He um, summarized his study in one sentence that really caught my attention. He said, in uh, interviewing more than 50 centurions, 50 
people who had made it to 100 years old on three different continents, I found every one of them likable. There hasn't been a grump in the bunch. To make it to 100 and not carry grumpiness, to not carry bitterness, that says something. And they all acknowledged that their longevity was not a burden. Their longevity and their quality of life were both beautiful and wonderful, and they were grateful for the years that they were given. I want to engage with you now in just another quick experiment before we conclude with another practice of Jesus' thankfulness. I want you to imagine right now a friend or family member who is about to have a birthday. I want you to picture them, think of their name in your mind. And you decide that um, as you're shopping, you come across a mug. And this mug is just like them on ceramic. And you pick up that mug and you wrap it up nice and you give it to them for their birthday. And later that day or maybe the next day, I want you to imagine you get a text from them that says, thank you for the birthday gift. How nice of you to think of me. Okay, now let's rewind just a day. You pick out this mug for your friend, same friend, picture their face smiling at you, picture this mug that just is them on ceramic, and you wrap it up nice with their favorite color in a, in a sweet little package, maybe write a little note card, you give it to them. The next day you get a phone call, or maybe you bump into them and they say, oh my goodness, Karis, you picked out the perfect mug for me. Oh, Gaylene, you knew my favorite color. That's on the mug. How thoughtful. Oh, Rafa, how did you know that I would find that phrase so funny? Oh, so Celine, I can't believe that you took the time to identify that mug and to wrap it up so special. You just chose even the ribbon, the attention to detail. Wow. And that mug as it sits on my counter, it just reminds me that I'm loved. And you know, I put my favorite tea, the tea I saved just for Sabbath, I put my favorite tea in that mug. And it just warms my soul on the inside. And I just feel like I'm getting a hug from you every time I see that mug. And it's the first one to go in the dishwasher because I just want it ready for the next day. How are you feeling about your gift of a mug right now? Did you notice a difference in the second words of appreciation than in the first? This is not a complicated or hard experiment, right? Your brain, I know right now, is firing up in a different level than it was when someone just said, thanks for the thought, appreciate that gift. It's in how we express. It's the detail in which we go to when we say, great are you, Lord. Praise God. Thank you. And so as we head in to what is going to be Thanksgiving season, and as we prepare next week for a Thanksgiving Sabbath, one in which we will share communion, we remember that before Jesus broke the bread that symbolized his sacrifice body, before he poured the grape juice that symbolized his shed blood, his pain, his agony, his suffering, 
he gave thanks. And so it's going to be important for us to approach that experience, nurturing, tapping in to the benefits that God has laid out for us, for our gain in thanksgiving and an attitude of praise. Jesus, as he approached the tomb of Lazarus, dead, stinking behind a stone wall, he looked up and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me, but I'm saying this for the benefit of the people standing around me, that they would know, that they would believe that you sent me. Taking our praise and gratitude and thanks to the next level, we need to not only journal it in our private spaces, in our devotional time, we need to start expressing it for the hearing of those around us for the hearing of our faith community, to encourage them and inspire them, and for the hearing of those not yet in our faith community, so that they will start to see, as Jesus has declared, that God sent him. God provided the power to overcome the darkness of death. And so we have a couple of easy ways for you to try that here at OAC. As you leave the service today, you're going to see a table set with some leaves and permanent markers. This is an opportunity for you to express and again go deeper, not just say, oh, I'm thankful for good health, but God, wow, this vigor that I feel, the ability I have to unclench my hands, the ability I have to roll my shoulders, the ability I have to bend my knees, to dance a jig, to tap my toes if you are immobilized, to really hone in and get specific in expressing, God, I thank you, not that I have a good family, but wow, I have a family that has been stabilized by your grace. I have a family that, that forgives one another. I have a family committed to healing past wounds and breaking generational trauma, or God, I'm thankful for the rain because I really needed to feel like it's not all sunshine and roses. The more specific you get in expressing your praise, you'll feel it. You feel great. Being the, I felt great as I tried to explain to you how happy I was about an imaginary mug. And I could see your faces, even behind the masks, your eyebrows going up and your cheeks raised. God feels good. We feel good when we really go deeper in this practice of praise and thanksgiving. So on your way out, you can take a leaf. You can add it to our Fallelujah board. But there's another way because that's just going to be seen by our community in here. We're encouraging you, those of you who are online and you have social media connections, take a picture that expresses your gratitude and joy. Hashtag it, Fallelujah at OAC Vancouver. Let people know that you're part of a community that is counter-cultural to doom and gloom, that you are part of a community that, yes, knows the world is on a downward trajectory. You can answer Stephen Colbert's question and say, yes, the end is ever closer, but that's not need for concern. That's not need for despair. 
We have a God who has claimed victory, who has joy before him set. And it's in our future as well. We have a reunion we're looking forward to. We have a Savior we're so ready to see. And that attitude as it comes through on your social posts, as it comes through on um, the leaves you want to share with our community today, as it comes through in different ways that the Holy Spirit's going to impress upon your heart, a note of thanks to someone in your life that needs it, or an expression of, of gratitude to a colleague or, or a neighbor. Let the Holy Spirit guide this week and, and embrace the spirit of gratitude, of praise God, of I love you, Lord, because. May that permeate every single day in the coming weeks. Because next Sabbath, I'm going to be inviting you, some of you, to share what changed in the past week, what shifted, what, what did you notice was different in your life. And we're going to give you time and space and ways to do that next week before we share in communion. Until then, uh, let's pray that the Holy Spirit would cultivate and nurture a heart of worship. Father God, we uh, pause just to say thank you right now in this moment, just to savor and to confess we so often skip through and rush through all of the blessings that you lay before us. We rush past them unnoticed, unaware, and God, just tune us in, tune us in to see um, a little wink from you in a late-blooming flower a little cheer from you in the song of a bird, a little kiss from you as a sunbeam hits our cheek and breaks through those storm clouds, the comfort of your spirit when we sit by a fire or, or cozy up under a warm blanket. God, we acknowledge that the only reason we're standing here today is by your provision, by your power. We give you the credit. We give you the glory. We give you the honor and the thanks for all you've done. Lord, keep us in this place, in this posture of worship, not only as we conclude the Sabbath, but as we embrace the week ahead. And may others, in the hearing of our praise, in the hearing of our thanks, be convinced that you were sent to walk in our shoes, to feel our sorrows, to experience our suffering, so that you could fully empathize and rescue us from it. We love you, God. You are amazing. You are generous. You are more than our imaginations can really handle. Bless us, we pray in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to OAC Vancouver's podcast. Learn more at oacvancouver.ca. If you're in Vancouver, join us for worship Saturdays at 11 a.m. at 5350 Bailey Street. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate, review, and subscribe. God bless you and have a wonderful day.